Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Jesus, we love you. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. You are too good to not believe. You are a wonder-working God. Lord, we invite you into this place right now, Father. Lord, that you would have right of way, God, that you would accomplish in our lives, God, what we cannot for ourselves. Father, we surrender to you right now, to your wonder-working power. God, move in us, God. Change us, help us, encourage us, God. Heal us, God. Deliver us, God. We pray that you would move in this place right now. We magnify your name. We glorify you today. For there is none like you in all the earth, O God. There is none like you in all the earth. And we love you. And we praise you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. You are so good to us, Lord. We give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. Praise God. We want to release all the teenagers. If you're junior high, high school age, you could go out with Alex. He's heading out to the youth room. Uh, Amen. Also, I just want to make a a quick announcement, encourage you. Many of you know we've been doing something a little bit different on our Wednesday nights. Uh, We just finished up, I just finished up a six-week series of Bible studies on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so next week, next Wednesday at 7 o'clock, we are starting a new series. Uh, Pastor Alex Wilson will be doing a series, and the, the series is entitled Grace. It's more amazing than you realize. And so you want to mark that down, come on out. That's at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, and we would love to see all of you there. Can you say amen? Amen. Praise God. Now, this morning, uh, I am going to minister a message that does not have a text. (laughs) You say, you're going to talk about the Bible? Yeah, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures today. So we don't have one centralized text that we're going to springboard off of, but we are going to look at a variety of different uh, scriptures today. And I do want to say this as we get started this morning. This is probably one of the more important uh, messages that I'm going to preach all year. And I know that sometimes preachers do that. We, you know, Every sermon we get up and we go, oh, this is more important, this is important, this is important. Everything we say is important, and, and I get that. I get that you know, reality in preachers. But this subject matter today, because we're going to look at fear, and the title of my message today is called Unafraid. And I could tell you today that this is extremely important. And I want to begin by telling you a couple stories, because I, I think you'll find these amusing. A five-year-old little boy named Mark accidentally spilled his fruit punch on the floor one day. So he decided to clean up the mess himself, and he went to the back porch to get the mop. Suddenly, he, was, he realized it was dark outside, and he became fearful about reaching out the door for the mop. His mother reminded him that Jesus is everywhere, even in the dark. Mark thought about that for a minute, then putting his face to the door, he said, Jesus, if you're out there, could you hand me the mop? I like that. I don't know if that was a true story, but I can see my grandkids doing that. So, uh, Another one is on Halloween night, a three-year-old little boy named Brian couldn't sleep because he was convinced ghosts were in his room. 
His mother come in and reassured him, it's all in your head. Now go to sleep. But before she got down the stairs, he called out in a very shaky voice, Mom, the ghosts have left my head and they're running around my room. (laughs) One of the biggest problems in life, and even in the Christian life, is fear. And let me say this to you today, just to kind of start this. Fear is not your friend. And it will never be your friend. And now with everything the world is going through, fear has become a very real enemy. And oftentimes without our knowledge, fear will begin to consume us slowly. And in the end, many limit their lives simply just to accommodate their fear. Now, I know there are those that will say, I don't fear anything. And there are those that uh, they'll say, you know what, I'm not afraid of all of this. And, and you know what, they're partially right because the reason they don't fear anything is because they've eliminated, it, eliminated everything that they're afraid of. And so instead of pressing into God and what he has for them, what they do is they back up and they settle for a more comfortable life. And ultimately, what ends up happening is they end up living far below the life that they are capable of. Can you say amen? Now, Chris Volatin recently said this, and I thought, I didn't know that he was the originator of this, but he is. He says, the dogs of doom stand at the door of destiny. And you know what, I have found that statement to be very true in my own life is because just about, I, about the time I'm approaching something of a breakthrough or something that I've been believing God for or something that I'm very concerned about or want to do, oftentimes the very thing that seems to stand in my way is the voice of fear. And it begins to rail its accusation and it begins to yell and scream and the goal is is to set me back and to bring me to a place where I am struggling and I won't push forward. And so I was thinking about this and I was reminded of a story that I heard years ago about a spy who was captured by those he was spying on and then he was sentenced to death by the commanding general in the army. And this general had a strange custom of giving condemned criminals a choice between the firing squad or the big black door. And at the moment for his execution came, when that moment came, the spy was brought to the general who asked the the spy a question. He says, what will it be, the firing squad or the big black door? The spy hesitated for a long time. It was a very difficult decision. But in the end, he chose the firing squad. And moments later, shots rang out, confirming that he, in fact, was executed. The general turned to his aide and said, they always prefer the known way as opposed to the unknown way. He says it's characteristic of people to be afraid of what they do not know. Yet we give them a choice. And the aide says, what lies behind the big black door? And the general said, freedom. And he says, I've only known a few brave, only a few brave enough to take that door. 
You know, and the amazing thing is, is fear will rob you of everything that's of value in your life. It will paralyze your potential. It will ruin your relationships. It will hinder your happiness. It will sabotage your success. And in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of, of power, love, and a sound mind. And these are the words of a spiritual father speaking to his son in the faith. And Timothy, no doubt, is struggling in this moment. Things are happening, and I am sure that he's wondering, what, what, what's going on here? Is this really all worth it? Have you ever had that feeling? Have you ever been going through some things, and this thing begins to mount up, and you're thinking, you know, is this really all all worth it. You know, because, man, I'm, I'm pushing it, and I don't know what's going on, and I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know what's coming next, and I'm, I'm a little bit disconcerted. I'm scared. I'm, I'm worried. I'm anxious. We've all been there, right? Well, Paul tells Timothy, he says, that fear that you feel and that you're experiencing, that's not from God. And I'm here today to tell you that the fear that you feel and are experiencing, it's not from God either. Amen. But he goes on and he says, but what you do have from God, this love, this power, this sound mind, it will help you face the fears that stand in your way. There's no doubt about it, all of us have at some point or another been terrorized by fear, by the unknown, by what we can't control. It starts its sinister weaving of fact and fi fiction. And as it does that, we begin to imagine the worst possible situation played out in our minds. Have you ever noticed that? Our imagination ge generally doesn't go to the positive, does it? When your checkbook says $5 and the bill says $500, we don't imagine in our mind that tomorrow we're going to wake up with $1,000 in our checkbook. What we begin to imagine is, what am I going to do when the bill collector calls, or what am I going to do when I can't keep the lights on, or how am I going to get groceries, or what am I going to do when I am faced with these realities? We, we tend to go negative in our imagination, and that fear begins to rise up. These thoughts, these feelings, these suspicions and assumptions and lies, they begin to carry a new weight of priority, don't they? And when fear seizes you, all of your ability to think rationally begins to evaporate. And literally we become overwhelmed and the promises of God seem so dim, don't they? I don't know about you, but I have been there. I have been in that moment where I'm consumed with my own thoughts. What now? What's next? What's going to happen how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? Why isn't God moving? Where is God in all of this? What about the Word of God? The Word of God promises. Why isn't it working? All of that is rooted in fear. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I want to let you in on a secret this morning. Fear is a bully that will back down every time you stand up to it. Fear is a terrorist that depends on obscurity. It depends in, and lives in the shadows of deception. But the moment we stand and face our fears, we end up pulling it out of the obscurity and into the light of God, and we expose it for what it really is. And we can see it 
for what it really is. And we can see the lie designed to keep our lives held captive. Now the question I have is if that's true, if that's true, if all of those things are true, then why is it that more people don't face their fears? Because the reality is today, and the sad truth is, it's easier to live in fear than to stand in truth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's easier just to go with the flow, isn't it? It's easier just to kind of go with what naturally comes easy to us. It's not easy to stand sometimes. It's not easy to hold to the truth. But let me tell you something, it is worth it every time. Can you say amen? And this is the very thing that happened when Moses sent the spies into Canaan to gather information for the people of Israel about the promise. Fear of the looming giants became more visible than any of the blessings the promised land had to offer. Although they obediently gathered fruit from the land, their report focused on all the seemingly impossible obstacles they faced. Let me tell you something, in any kind of endeavor that's worth doing, there will be obstacles. There will be giants. But do you know what the amazing thing is about the story of the children of Israel before they go into the promised land? If you follow out the timeline of, of, of the children of Israel going into the promised land, the ones that, that ended up not believing, that died in the wilderness, it wasn't for 300 years before they encountered their first giant. And when they encountered their first giant, David put a rock in his forehead and he died and he cut his head off. And somehow a whole generation was lost because of fear. Are you hearing me? Let's look at it for a minute. I want you to listen to these words. Numbers 13, 27 through 33. It says, then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Do you know why he was doing it quickly? Is he says, if we don't go now, we'll never go. That's what he's saying. But then... The men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who saw it, saw it in, uh, wow. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. Do you know what you will become in the eyes of fear? Whatever you see yourself as. If you see yourself as a failure... In the eyes of fear, it'll look at you as a failure. 
If you see yourself as a misfit, if you see yourself as incapable, if you see yourself as some other thing than other than what God says you are, fear will tell you the exact same thing. You can't do it. You can't do this. You can't do this. Do you know why? Because you're not good enough. You're not qualified. You're too old. You're too young. You're a woman. You, you should be afraid. You're a child. You ought not to do this. Do you know who you are? Do you know what kind of sin you did before you got saved? See, that's all the things that fear will tell you. Fear will tell you what you're already thinking. How you see yourself will be what fear sees in you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They said these words, we were grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in theirs. See, this fearful exaggeration, it infected the Israelites. And they succumbed to crying and grumbling against Moses and Aaron. And it even led them to the point they wished they had died in the wilderness. And it seems that Israel at this point forgot God's promise that he had given the land of Canaan to He said, I already gave it to you. It's already yours. All you got to do is go in and possess it. But despite the obstacles, or I should say because of the obstacles, because they look so intimidating, they said, we can't do it. God says, you don't have to do it. All you got to do is go walk it out. I already did it. Amen. I already gave it to you. I have a plan. There's already provision for you in it. And I can't tell you how many times this very same scenario is being played out every day in the lives of Christians. It has been said that the most repeated phrase in Scripture is these words, don't be afraid. Scripture contains the phrase, do not be afraid or do not fear, more than 300 times. And the Bible commands us, fear not, exactly 365 times, or once for each day of the year. Isn't that amazing? Think about this. God said to Gideon in Judges 6.23, the Lord said to him, peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. There are some people in this place, you need to hear those words. Do not be afraid, you shall not die. God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.8, Don't be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. How many times have we been afraid of the faces? We, we, we we're intimidated by someone else. We're intimidated to stand for what's right or true. We're intimidated to do the right thing because of someone else's face. Jesus said to the women at his resurrection in Matthew 28, 10, he says, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, but go tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This had to be pretty upsetting at the moment of resurrection that Jesus comes on the scene. They're thinking everything is over. Everything we had hoped for is done. But there he stands, and he has to say to them, don't be afraid, but go do what I've told you to do. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 6, 25, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life. Boy, I tell you what, if there's any words that we need to underline, it's those. Don't worry about your life. Yeah, but pastor, you, you, yeah, but you don't understand what I'm going through. No, I don't. I don't understand what you're going through, but I understand what I'm going through. And I understand that God knows what you're going through and what I'm going through. And in spite of what he knows about us, he still says, don't worry about your life. 
Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, nor what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and, and the body more than clothing? In other words, he's saying, I got this handled. I know what you need. I created you. I know. Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, no thing, nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I'm telling you right there, that, 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 that verse right there, that one simple verse will solve 99% of the counseling needs that are in this room today. I haven't lost my spot. I'm letting that sink in. 99% of the counseling needs, if not 100%, of what you're currently going through would be solved if you would just apply that one verse. Oh my God, the Word of God, there's so much. I, I just can't get it all. Then get that. Get that one right there. Get that one. Just that one. Be anxious for nothing. So what, so what, 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 what are we talking about when we say Nothing. Nothing. So when you look up the Greek word for nothing, you know what it means? Nothing. Don't be anxious about the water bill, the electric bill. Don't be anxious about the car payment. Don't be anxious about the rent. Don't be anxious about your children. Don't be anxious about your husband or wife. Well, you don't know my husband or wife. You're right, I don't. But God still says, don't be anxious about it. He says, but instead, instead, Pray about everything. Everything. No, let me say it again. Everything. Do you know what the Greek word for everything is, means? Everything. You're kind of catching it now, aren't you? You know, the, the older I get in Christianity, the more I study the Word of God. See, there was a day in my life that I think I wanted to complicate the Word because it made me feel important to know it. See, because only I could understand the complicated things, right? So I got really deep and muddy and came up with all kinds of theology. But God says, you know what, John, you really ought to apply the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. In fact, Paul even writes, he goes, don't forget the simplicity of Christ. Jesus came on the scene and what did he say? He said, you know, if, if you love me and you love my Father and you accept me, you've accepted my Father. You're good. Well, no, no, no. I got, I got to do all these rules and regulations. No, no. I, you don't do good at rules and regulations, Jesus said. We proved that. For thousands of years, I had a list of rules and regs, and you guys didn't pull it off. Man, I, I gave you a set of rules and regulations that was premium, man. It was, it was the best set of rules and regulations known to man. And you guys messed them up at every corner. So how about I'll do the rules and regs, and then I'll pretend like you did it. What I'll do is I'll go ahead and I'll wipe the slate clean that says not guilty. Because you just simply accepted me. How simple and wonderful is that? But what do we do? No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. We got we to gotta, we gotta put some rules in order. No, 
you just need to not be anxious about nothing, and you need to pray about everything. <laughs> I love it, man. I love that. I love that. That solves everything. Anybody need counseling? I'm giving you that from now on. First thing I'm going to say to you is, are you anxious? And you go, yep, I'm going to stop it. Did you pray about it? Nope. Do it. <laughs> Sorry. I just... Uh, none of that. None of that's in the notes, man. That, that's just... Sometimes I get to a point where I, I don't know. It was never God's will for man to be fearful. It wasn't until the introduction of sin that fear came, became a problem. Right? What, what, when, when God confronted Adam and Eve in the garden, what did they say? He, he comes to him and he says, uh, uh, he says, what's going on? He goes, I heard your voice in the garden. This is, this is uh, Adam speaking. And he says, and I was afraid and I was naked and I hid myself. You know what happens when you sin? Do you know how you're sinning? Because you'll be afraid, ashamed, and you'll want to hide. And so if you're in a room alone and somebody walks in and you feel compelled to do that, you're up to no good. <laughs> the problem is, is fear always leads to control. And control always robs us of the power God gives us. See, because whatever you fear will ultimately control your life. And whatever controls your life will ultimately have power over you. For some reason, one of the most compelling scriptures where God tells us not to be afraid is found in Joshua 1.9. This to me is so compelling. He's speaking to Joshua and he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I think the reason that this scripture for me is so compelling is because I can identify with Joshua in this moment. Because here's Joshua, one minute he's serving God, everything's going well, he's, he's doing his thing, he's, you know, taking care of stuff, he knows how to do his job, he's been doing it for a, a very long time, he's serving Moses, but then suddenly God comes on the scene and says, Moses is dead. And Joshua's real calling begins to surface to lead the people to their promise. But as God tells Joshua what to do, he tells him, me, and everyone in this room, don't be afraid. And as wonderful as this may be, sometimes when I hear this, I want to shout out, you have got to be kidding Don't be afraid. I can't help but be afraid right now, God. How can you tell me not to be afraid? How can you tell me not to feel afraid when that's all I feel? How can you tell me not to feel afraid when I can't see beyond this moment? 
How can you tell me not to be afraid when so much is unknown and I'm totally overwhelmed? Well, here's the truth. God didn't say, don't feel afraid. What he said was, don't be afraid. Now, I know you may think I'm splitting hairs here, but listen to me. See, fear is a lot like anger. It's not that you feel angry that it's the problem. It's what you do with anger or what you allow anger to do to you. And I think this is the essence of what God is saying to us. Just because we have fear doesn't mean that fear has to have us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? For most of us, our default setting in any situation that is unfamiliar to us or out of our control is fear, worry, anxiety. And then the end, it determines the course of our life. Listen, church, God has a plan for you. God's not doing this randomly. He's not, God's not shooting from the hip. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God's, you know, I think it was Einstein that says this, God does not play dice with the universe. God's not up in heaven doing an experiment. He knows exactly what he is doing. Can you say amen? Listen, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For God knows the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. See, God knows what he's doing in your life. One of my favorite scriptures or verses is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 28 in the Amplified Version. It says this, In no way be alarmed or intimidated in anything by your opponents, for such constancy and fearlessness on your part is a clear sign, a proof, and a seal for them of their impending destruction, but a clear sign for you of deliverance and salvation, and that too from God. Amen. That's a promise you can hang on to. Can you say amen? So you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in fear. And so as I wind this down today, I want you to listen to a promise. This promise was given to me. This was, this was given to me. This passage of Scripture was given to me eight years ago. You, most of you remember that have been around a while remember Pastor Don McCamish. Pastor McCamish is a guy that I've known for all my adult life. Don, what did I say? Longer than you. I've known, known her longer than Kathy. Known Don longer than Kathy. And you know what? Don was always good to me. In fact, the first time I got a prophetic word in this church was because of Don McCamish. He gave me a word. He says, I, he, I remember it to this day. He, he said, I was sitting next to Kathy. We were dating. We were sitting in the front row. Dating, and then Don come up to me, and he goes, you know what God tells me? And I said, what? He says, God says, I'm going to fill you with the gifts of my mercy. And I've held on to that for all my life. All my life I've held on to it. I've prayed over it, prayed over it. I still don't know if I know everything that there's there, but God keeps working it out. But eight years ago, just right after Pastor Howard died, Don comes up to me because it was a very difficult moment. It was a difficult moment. We had this machinery called Praise Chapel at that time. Lots was happening. The church was about 720 people. Lots of things were going on. Oh, yeah, I'd been around a long time. I'd been here. I had done stuff in the church. I had been on staff, and I, I was familiar with all its workings, but the buck never stopped with me. I always had the luxury of just going home and taking that hat off. But now all of a sudden... 
My spiritual father is in heaven. And Pastor Don came up to me and he says, I got a word for you, John. He says, I want to give it to you. And so I'm going to give it to you today. And this really began to help me. Because as I begin to meditate on this for the last eight years, this is what I've gotten out of it. So listen to this word, Isaiah 41, verses 8 through 13. It says, but you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, in whom I've chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. You know I have taken you from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing, and those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them, and those that contend with you, those who war against you shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand saying to you, fear not, I will help you. And the thing that I've discovered over the last eight years is this promise gives us three reasons not to have fear, no matter what. The first one is God says, I have. This little phrase, I have, it reminds us of what he has already done for us. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, but you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, you who I have taken from the ends of the earth and have called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and have not cast you away. We are the chosen of God church. In other words, there is a deliberateness concerning our lives. I have said this many times before. We were created by design with a purpose, on purpose, with destiny in mind. We were created with significant potential to be much more than what we could ever imagine. We are not random acts of chemistry. We are the crowning achievement of our Father in heaven. Can you say amen? And too often we live with a disconnect concerning God's involvement in our existence. We know he created mankind. We even know that he is working in this world. But did he intend on me being here? And too often we think in terms of fate or randomness and we look to circumstances to define our lives rather than the intention of our Father in heaven. Listen to me. He is wrapped up in every detail of your life. Therefore, therefore, as any good father, our Father in heaven cares for what he has chosen. Are you hearing me? See, the reason that you can stand and face your fears is because you are the chosen of God. You say, well, that's, brother, that's just Old Testament. Okay, listen to these passages of Scripture. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That's pretty straightforward. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give it you. Ephesians 1, 
3 through 6 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do, and he, it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for this glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong, us who belong to his dear son. We are the chosen of God. We are the chosen of God. God, the creator of heaven and earth, one day said, I choose them. Now fear will come to you and it will say all manner of things. And it will try to convince you that you are alone and undone. But God says you're never alone because I chose you. I chose you. I decided. Not you. I did. And then in Romans chapter 28 verse 30. say, And we know that God causes everything. Here's that everything again. In the Greek it means everything. To work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. And he chose them to become like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. Having called them, he gave them right standing with himself and having given them right standing he gave them his glory Amen. you carry you are a carrier you are a bearer of the glory of God and church let me tell you something that glory will repel any fear that comes your way why because you are the chosen of God when we stand in the reality of what Jesus has done for us fear has no place or power. First John chapter 4 verse 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has been not been made perfect in love. See, the truth is, church, the reason that we have fears is because we are still identifying with an old identity. We are still identifying with an old reality. That's why. Then he goes on, and God says, I am. This little phrase in, the, in that verse in Isaiah 41, God speaks about us, about who he is to us and through us. Look at verse 10. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. You know the wonder, wonderful thing about this word dismayed? If you go look it up, in the Strong's Concordance, it'll tell you it means to be beaten down. It means to be beaten down over and over again. He says, don't be afraid. Don't allow yourself to be beaten down. Why? I am with you. I am with you. David Livingston served as a medical missionary in Africa, and for 30 years he suffered hunger, sickness, and injuries. And when, it was, when he was asked what sustained him through all the toils, the hardships, and the loneliness of his ministry, Dr. Livingston said, it was the promise, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Amen. See, there is some, something supernatural about the revelation that God is with you. It will embolden you. <laughs> Do you remember when you were a kid and you kind of had to face the bully? 
and you were by yourself, you were afraid. But then all of a sudden, when you had a couple friends that would co-sign with you, all of a sudden you got a whole lot more brave, didn't you? <laughs> Especially if you had a big brother and your big brother came alongside you and said, go ahead, I got your back. It's like, man, this is cake. This is cake. How many times have we had been in those moments where our parents uh, come along our side or we were afraid and our dad or our mom came or maybe it was an uncle, aunt, uncle, or it was somebody in our life, but somebody came. Well, Jesus is doing the very same thing. He's saying, I am with you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I am with you. Now, if, we, if that ain't enough, then he goes on and he says this, and I am your God. What does that mean? See, this is where I think sometimes you and I have to get a little bit more serious about what we believe. See, sometimes what we do is we kind of, we reduce that statement, I am your God down, because it's so ethereal and we don't understand it. But God has names to describe his nature. God has names that, that, that describe his intention and his promise to our lives. He calls himself El Shaddai. He is all-sufficient, all-powerful. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is our peace. He is Jehovah Raha. He is our shepherd. He is Jehovah Nisi. He is our victory. He is Jehovah Sidkenu. He is our righteousness. And the list goes on and on and on of who he he is in our lives. This is not just a name tag in heaven so the visitors or the new people know who's God. This is literally describing his nature at work in you. Corey Tin Boom said this, there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. And finally, God says, I will, and if Jason would come. And what God is speaking is here is he's telling us what he will and what he is willing and wants to do for us. Look at Isaiah 41.10 again. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God gives us specific promises in the Bible for every problem. And we have a Father in heaven who not only helps us grow through our problems, but he gives us the power to triumph over them. And we find in the end that that power is in fact his righteous right hand. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Can you, do you know what that is, that statement? That is a blank check. That God says, that's where God says, what do you need? And you go, I don't really know. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll just give you my checkbook and you write it out and I'll back it. All my promises are yes. God, will you, yes. God, are yes. Yes. Will, will you? Yes. The problem is we don't hear yes, do we? We hear something else because, see, what the devil likes to do is he likes to come. And he goes, well, look at the reality of your living through. Stop looking at the reality of your looking through. Start looking through the lens of the Word of God. Start looking through what God says about you.
When you do that, when you start doing that, it will change your reality. In Jude chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. What does that mean? With God's ability always comes his willingness. God is never able to do something and then unwilling to do it. God is always willing to bring it about, so he's able to keep you, and he's able to bring you faultless before the presence of his glory. Paul writes in Romans 8, 31 and 32, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also give us all things? Freely give us all things. Church, I know, I know by virtue of the fact that I am among the human race, I too struggle. And from time, time to time, I get fearful. People ask me all the time, they say, do you ever get nervous when you go up on stage? Just about every time. Do you get nervous? Do you get anxious? All the time. There's moments where I don't want to do it, to be honest with you. There's times when I question myself. There's times when I don't know if things are going right or if I've got the mind of God or whatever. And I'm, I'm human just like everybody else. And I don't see as clearly as I would like to see. And sometimes that fear wants to rise up. And the devil takes those moments and he wants to stir them up. But what I'm finding is that if I'll stand against it and say, no, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. I don't deny the reality that I'm struggling, but that's a lie. And I'm not saying that I've perfected this because I haven't, nor am I condemning you in that you haven't. I'm simply saying you and I are in the same boat and we all have the promise of the Father. He has chosen us and He is our God and He will uphold us with His righteous right hand. He will strengthen us. He will care for us. He will be there for us but what's required of us is that we would actually stand in it and believe it that we wouldn't walk away from it that we wouldn't allow circumstances and the voice of this life to tell us otherwise and 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 look at I, I I've been thinking a lot about this I've been really spending time because what happens do you, do you know what I do when I go through these struggles I understand I'm not the first to go through the struggle, so I take time and I think about what I'm going through, what I'm feeling. I, I, it's all, I'm always amazed at how permanent the feeling feels and how complete it feels. I'm always amazed at the discouragement and the bummed outness and, and the down, the dismayed and the, you know, the things that come. And I, I'm always amazed at how real it feels how convinced I am. And, and fortunately, God has given me the ability, at least in this moment, to kind of sometimes step out of myself and in that moment and go, wow, that's something. Because that's what everybody's going through. And then I watch when my, my wonderful wife, she's always encouraging me. She'll come to me and she'll say, she'll say something and she always does. She'll go, it's going to be okay. You got this. And I, and everything inside me, see, now you got to remember, I'm kind of watching from the outside. But everything inside me goes, how do you know? 
And I want to argue with her. And she'll quote a scripture at me and I'll, I'll think, you know, go take your scripture somewhere else. And you say, well, why is that happening? Because I think God's actually helping me to see what others go through. And sometimes I'm amazed at how permanent this feels. But you know what's funny is I'm also amazed, because I've told you this before, is because it, it usually happens like right before service. But I'm amazed that as soon as I'm done talking, I'll come off this stage, walk through that door, and it all lifts. There's something magical about that door. I don't know. <laughs> I walk through that door, and it's like, hey, I feel great. Let's go get a cheeseburger. Where do you want to go? <laughs> when I walk in them front doors. See, that's maybe what I need to do is walk in that door. Because when I walk in the front doors, I'm like, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> you say, well, why is that? That's because hell's fighting me. Hell's fighting me. Because, see, hell don't want me to get up here and tell the truth. Well, hell don't want, he want, you know what he wants me to do is go, oh, man, it is. Holy cow, man, we're, gonna, we're going through hell. Well, maybe. Don't stop. When going through hell, don't, okay. If you got to explain the joke, it don't work, right? Thank you, Donna. Donna is so good. She encourages me so much. Here's the point, church. I get it. We all fear. We all have it. We all work with it. But we don't have to be it. And we can cast it off. Why? Because he has chosen us. He is our God. He is. He's my God. Not only is he my God, he is my Father. He is my Father in heaven, and he loves me. You know, I know how much I love my children. Gosh, I'd, I would die well, he did. He did die for me. I, I, I would take the bullet. I'm not even questioned. I love my children. I love them, love them, love them. I love my grandchildren. I love them. And if I, being tainted and evil, know how to love my children, how much more does my Father in heaven love me? And he's my Father, and he is all that he says he is. And he will. He says, I, this is the thing. This was the, this was the prophecy that Brother Don gave me. He says, I, he says, God says he's going to hold your hand. And you know, sometimes that, as a 55-year-old man, it feels a little weird sometimes. But you know what? I picture myself as a little five-year-old that's going to school the first day that's just not sure. And God says, come on, I'll, I'll hold your hand. Come on, let's go. I got you. I got you. I'll be right with you the whole way. I remember, and I'll shut up and let you go home. <laughs> I remember when Jason was in kindergarten, and the kindergarten teacher had a, um, a, a day where they did this thing called Donuts with Dad. <clears throat> they have another one called, I think it's Muffins with Mom, but this was Donuts with Dad. And I, and I was busy. We were busy building the church, and there was all kinds of things. And I, I was going to kind of just blow it off. I was just going to go, ah, there'll be a lot of donuts with Dad and, you know, whatever. But I don't know, towards the, towards just before time was gonna, I was going to be too late, God really convicted me and said, you need to go. And so I, meet, I rushed to the school, and I got there, like, just with seconds to spare. And when I walked in that door, it just blew me away because Jason saw me. 
And little Jay, when he was, I don't know how old he was, five or so, or four or five, he just jumps up and he runs to me and he grabs my hand and he takes me over and he gets me this little tiny chair, which I was way too big for. He gets this little chair, pulls it right next to him and he got a donut for me and sat down. And I mean, he was just as bright as bright could be. And I remember in that moment, God spoke to me and he says, you need to understand that's our relationship, but even deeper, even more. And he says, and I'm never late. He goes, because I never leave. I'm always there. Always. And I just remember how much it meant for Jason. And I, I just had this incredible understanding of what it meant to be a father in that moment. And how much our father in heaven is. And so look at, you don't have to be afraid. I know you may feel it from time to time. But when you start feeling it, look to him. Can you say amen? Bow your heads with me. Father, we love you today and we praise you and we glorify you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us. Father, we pray, God, that you, God, would strengthen us. And Father, that you would cause this revelation to be our revelation. Father, that this would be written upon the table of our heart. And Father, that you would encourage us and strengthen us. Father, we take authority over all fear. We bind it right now in the name of Jesus and we command it to loose its hold. And Father, in its place, we release peace right now. We release the peace of God. Lord, we know that you have chosen us and we know that you are our God and we know it's you that's holding us by your righteous right hand. And Father, we thank you and we give you glory and we give you honor. And I wonder as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, but you would like to, if you would, would you raise your hand real, real quick? Would you raise it up quickly? So that's me. I need Jesus as my Savior. Amen. The rest of you can look up at me today. You know what? I, I just want to encourage you. I, I, I really felt the Lord just speak to me about this, that there's because of the situations and all that's going on, sometimes fear can get a hold of us. But I want you to understand there's nothing to fear because he's there. He's there. He's got you. Can you say amen to that? Let's stand to our feet all across this place. We're going to release you today, let you go. Our prayer team is coming. Our ministry team is going to come up. If you need prayer for anything, uh, come on up and, and let them pray for you. We're going to let you go today. God bless you. You have a great and wonderful day. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.